Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Ve a calho.org para hablar con una persona que te guíe para las diferentes opciones disponibles. O llama a nuestra línea 1-833-317-HOPE. Está bien no estar bien. La ayuda vive aquí en California. Introducing The Biz Tape, your all things music, business, and media podcast. Join me, Joe Wazleski, and my co-host, Colin McKay, every Wednesday, where we discuss the breaking news changing the music industry and what your favorite artists and creatives are up to. Listen to new episodes of The Biz Tape every Wednesday on the Nashville Podcast Network, available on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Chuck Wicks from Love Country Talk to Chuck, where we bring you what's really happening in the country music family. We also, if you love country, here's the deal. If you love country music, you can be on the podcast. So if you're a fan of country music, well, you can call in anytime. You'd be like, oh, I want to talk about this. Hulk Hogan called in. He's like, Chuck, Volkster, I love your podcast. Jason Aldean, Jimmy Allen, Carly Pierce, Lauren Elena. Listen to new episodes of Love Country Talk to Chuck every Monday and Thursday on the Nashville Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It was when I was eight years old growing up in Selma when my life was changing without me even knowing it. My name is Cheyenne Webb Christbird. I was a little eight-year-old girl growing up in George Washington Cabo projects. It was rough. Both my parents worked in the factories to feed us, to take care of us the best way that they knew how. But I'll never forget the day that I met Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As I would normally do, I would always have to walk past now the historic Browns Chapel Emmy Church. In 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. and his civil rights organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Council, came to Selma, Alabama to start a voter registration campaign. And little eight-year-old Cheyenne was immediately swept up. He told us, I want to see you children before I leave because I'm coming back to Selma to start a movement. 
But I became very disobedient as that little girl. My parents just couldn't do anything with me. They didn't want me to be a part of anything that reflected being a part of that movement. Despite her parents' misgivings, Cheyenne began sneaking out of the house to attend community organization meetings that were being held at the church. It was at those meetings that she was exposed to the ministry and principles of Martin Luther King. Dr. King would talk about the African-Americans who didn't have the right to vote. And he started talking about a march that would be taking place in Selma, Alabama, for African-Americans to gain their right to vote. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Turnout. This week, we're exploring how America's fight for voting rights is wrapped up in the ongoing struggle for racial justice. And all I remember is trying to explain to my parents about what Dr. King was talking about. And I asked them, did they have the right to vote? And of course, my dad didn't even want to talk about it. He told me, no, Black folks couldn't vote. But why not? After all, when the 15th Amendment was ratified in 1870, it guaranteed that the right to vote could no longer be denied based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So why did so many Black people not vote before the 1960s? You may remember from our last episode that author Gilda Daniels asked her grandmother that very same question. Why didn't she vote before the 1960s? And got the same answer. Black Black people people didn't didn't vote. vote. Because they could lose their land, they could lose their lives. It was not because they did not want to vote. It was because of all these mechanisms that were put in place to certainly prevent them from doing so. To understand why Black people couldn't vote, we have to go back about 100 years to Reconstruction, when the country was trying to knit itself back together, reintegrating the Confederate states, as well as 4 million formerly enslaved people into the United States. It was a turbulent time, to say the least. After the Civil War, There was a period where the violence was so intense against African-Americans. I mean, just this unmitigated rage that they had the audacity now to not be property. Dr. Carol Anderson is an African-American studies professor at Emory University and author of One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy. And we had a president, Andrew Johnson, And he was horrifically racist and short-sighted. And he was fine with what Harvard Law professor Annette Gordon-Reed called the slow motion genocide that was happening to Black people in the South. Well, the radical Republicans, and I love that term, we had radical Republicans. The radical Republicans in Congress looked up at what Johnson had done and just said, not today. It may seem a little strange given today's politics, but Andrew Johnson was a Democrat. Radical Republicans believed Blacks were entitled to the same political rights and opportunities as whites. What also made them radical was that they wanted the federal government to do something about it, to directly intervene in the state's affairs to help get the country and all of its people to a more perfect union. There was the Civil Rights Act of 1866 that dealt with citizenship to make it clear that Black people were citizens. 
Then there was the Reconstruction Act of 1867. All men, 21 years and over, will be registered to vote. That meant that Black men would be registered to vote. Ooh! Then the radical Republicans were, were concerned that if they just had these laws, at some point there may be a shift in the balance in Congress. And they wanted to make sure that the rights of all American citizens were protected. And that wasn't going to happen with just a law that could be easily overwritten. So they embedded it in the U.S. Constitution. The 14th Amendment dealt with birthright citizenship. If you're born here, you're a citizen. Wow. Then came the 15th Amendment in 1870. The 15th Amendment said... The United States nor the states shall abridge the right to vote on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. One of the other things that they did is they passed the Enforcement Act. It was the third Enforcement Act of 1871 because the Ku Klux Klan was raining down massive domestic terrorism on Black people who were trying to vote. And the federal government did not have the full authority it felt, to go in there and stop them. The Enforcement Act was to end domestic terrorism and to protect African-Americans' right to vote. So this is just, I mean, it is like boom, boom, boom. The radical Republicans were building the House of Democracy. What happened next was a period, a very brief period in the 1870s, of political prosperity for Blacks in America. In the South, more than half a million black men became voters. In several states, including Mississippi, black people were the majority of the population. And during that decade, Mississippi actually sent two black senators to Washington. But then came the backlash. The white state legislators looked up in Mississippi and said, oh, well, we can't have this. And so they come up with the Mississippi plan. And what the Mississippi plan does is it says, how do we stop Black people from voting without writing a law that explicitly says we don't want Black people to vote? Ah, we're going to couch it in the language of democracy, protecting the integrity of the ballot box, ensuring that there's no corruption in our elections. But what it does is it uses the societally imposed conditions on African-Americans and makes those conditions the access to the ballot box. And so, for instance, the poll tax. The poll tax couched in this language says, democracy's expensive. And so if you really believed in democracy, you would be willing to pay a small fee in order to ensure that this democracy runs smoothly. So what you see there is this language that flips the responsibility of free and fair elections off of the state and onto the individual. So it's a wickedly evil rhetorical device and also very effective. And what it does is it makes it seem like the poll tax is nominal. <laughs> How hard is it to pay just this little fee? Well, after you have had centuries of unpaid labor because of slavery, centuries. And then you have had the Black Codes 
coming out of the Civil War, which reimposed slavery by another name. And then after that, you have sharecropping, systemic, endemic, societally imposed poverty rained down on that Black community so that the poll tax actually required between 2 to 6% of a Mississippi farm family's annual income. Imagine paying 2 to 6% of your annual income to vote. Then there's the literacy test. When you have killed the enslaved who dared learn how to read, to then require the reading of a complicated legal text in order to be able to vote. In 1898, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the poll tax and the literacy test did not violate the 15th Amendment because everybody had to pay the poll tax and everybody had to read. So how could this be racially discriminatory? After that, you saw a number of states revise their state constitutions to include the Mississippi plans, disfranchisement. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right rug flooring. Policies in there. And the result was that by the time we get to 1940, only 3% of age eligible African Americans in the South are registered to vote. 3%. 
The Second World War has already started. And we're looking at a democracy that is so warped and so gnarled in the United States, where 97% of Black eligible voters have been blocked from the ballot box in the South. And the majority of African Americans lived in the South. By the time we get to Selma, in Dallas County, where Selma is, only 0.9% of African Americans, age eligible African Americans, were registered to vote. 0.9%. We'll return to Selma right after this short break. Conquer your New Year's resolution to be more productive with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, time management and productivity expert Laura Vanderkam teaches you how to make the most of your time, both at work and at home. These are the practical suggestions you need to get more done with your day. Just as lifting weights keeps our bodies strong as we age, learning new skills is the mental equivalent of pumping iron. Listen to Before Breakfast wherever you get your podcasts. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. When P.T. Barnum's Great American Museum burned to the ground in 1865, what rose from its ashes would change the world. Welcome to Grim and Mild Presents, an ongoing journey into the strange, the unusual, and the fascinating. For our inaugural season, we'll be giving you a backstage tour of the always complex and often misunderstood cultural artifact that is the American Sideshow. So come along as we visit the shadowy corners of the stage and learn about the people who were at the center of it all. In a place where spectacle was king, we will soon discover there's always more to the story than meets the eye. So step right up and get in line. Listen to Grim and Mile Presents now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more over at grimandmild.com slash presents. Congress passes the most sweeping civil rights bill ever to be written into the law and thus reaffirms the conception of equality. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. This Civil Rights Act is a challenge to all of us to go to work in our communities and our states, in our homes and in our hearts, to eliminate the last vestiges of injustice in our beloved country. It was a landmark piece of legislation. It banned segregation in public places and discrimination in the workplace. But with racism running deep, just listen to Alabama Governor George Wallace in 1963. Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. There was so much it didn't do to ensure blacks had the right to vote. Which brings us back to Selma and Cheyenne. I'm Cheyenne Webb Christberg. 
Dr. Martin Luther King's smallest freedom fighter. And Dr. King's voter registration campaign. Beginning in January 1965, freedom fighters staged nonviolent demonstrations in Selma to push for another piece of legislation, guaranteeing all Black Americans the right to vote. As I continued to participate in the movement, where many other freedom fighters would come from other places, other states to join that movement, to change things and to help in fighting for the right to vote. And I started bringing them to my home and asking my parents, could they live with us and stay with us? And soon they would be living in our homes. But I'll never forget what was the most traumatic experience of my life. And that was the Bloody Sunday March. The march was meant to be a big push by organizers to register black voters across Alabama and to attract national press coverage. The plan was to walk peacefully from Selma to the state capital of Montgomery, 54 miles. Many threats had been made about the possibilities of what would happen to anyone who would participate on that particular march. And I'll never forget my parents talking to me the night before and telling me that something could possibly happen to me if I participated in that march. Governor Wallace ordered the highway patrol chief to use, quote, whatever measure necessary to prevent the march from happening. Organizers, including the late Congressman John Lewis and Hosea Williams, decided to proceed anyway. On Sunday, March 7, 1965, at around noon, 600 protesters walking in two lines left the Brown Chapel AME Church and headed for the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Tucked into that group of freedom fighters, I'll never forget, was young Cheyenne. The special instructions that were given by Congressman John Lewis. He asked that all marchers walk quietly keep their heads straight and forward. And regardless of what happened, everyone would be nonviolent. At the base of the bridge, the marchers were met by 150 Alabama state troopers and sheriff deputies. A state trooper made this announcement over a bullhorn. You're ordered to disperse, go home, or go to your church. This march will not continue. The marchers did not disperse. They did not go home or back to their church. They stood still. And I remember vividly, as I looked down, it was like a sea of blue. I saw hundreds of policemen with tear gas masks, billy clubs, state troopers on horses. I saw the dogs. And my heart had begun to rumble and beat fast. I just knew that, as that little girl that something was going to happen. Troopers here advanced toward the group. See that they dispersed. The troopers advanced slowly at first, but then picking up speed until they plowed right through the marchers, knocking them down. Racism unleashed 
its brutality upon us. Tear gas had begun to burst in the air. And tear gas is a strong burning sensation where you can't hardly see your way. And as people had begun to run, people were being beaten down with billy clubs. The dogs and the horses were pushing their way into the crowd and trampling people over as if they weren't human beings. Can we have somebody take somebody to a you can see people crawling, falling, crying, bleeding. And of course, my eyes were burning. And I was running like many others trying to make my way home. I was very frightened, trembling, and really not knowing what to do except to get home. And as I was running out, I could still see the horses, the dogs, still trampling over people as they were trying to make their way back to Brown's Chapel Church. And as I was running, I'll never forget the late Hosea Williams picking me up and my little legs were still galloping in his arms. My eyes were burning. I couldn't hardly see. And I turned to him and I said to him in my own childish voice, put me down because you are not running fast enough. And that picture of Bloody Sunday has never left my heart, neither my mind. The events of that Sunday afternoon were captured by newscasters and journalists. And that night... The Sunday Night Movie will present Stanley Kramer's Academy Award-winning motion picture... Judgment at Nuremberg. 48 million people were watching ABC's broadcast of the star-studded movie Judgment at Nuremberg about the trials that took place in Germany following the Holocaust. That here in our decision, this is what we stand for. Justice. Truth. And the value of a single human being. But the network interrupted the movie to report on what had happened in Selma that day. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report from ABC News. In the days and weeks that followed, public support for the protesters surged and a federal judge ruled in favor of the marchers. They told us we wouldn't get here. 14 days after Bloody Sunday. And now with those who said that we would get here only over their dead bodies. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. successfully led thousands of demonstrators across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and onto Montgomery. And all the world today knows that we are here and we are standing before the forces of power in the state of Alabama saying we ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. And because America could not unsee the horrors of that bloody Sunday. Last March, 
With the outrage of Selma still fresh, legislators were motivated to do something about it. And asked the Congress and the people for swift and for sweeping action to guarantee to every man and woman the right to vote. The bill passed the Senate by an overwhelming majority, 77 to 19. Thus, this is a victory for the freedom of the American Negro. And my parents. But it is also a victory for the freedom of the American nation. Okay. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Register and every family across this great entire searching land. And when they went to vote, they live stronger in liberty. They took me with them. That was one of the most prouder to be American. Happiest, momentous feeling and moments for me that I ever had. Because of the act that you have passed, that I will sign today. On August 6, 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act into law. To understand how important that law has become in the history of this country, author Gilda Daniels says you can simply look to how presidents have described it. President Ronald Reagan called it a crown jewel. Lyndon Baines Johnson said that it was monumental. And it was monumental indeed. When you think about the power of the Voting Rights Act, you you do think about the ability to elect representatives, right? People who can represent you and represent your viewpoints. And, And even President Barack Obama attributed the Voting Rights Act to his success. Because of campaigns like this, 
essentially said that he would not have been possible. The Voting Rights Act was passed. If there was not a Voting Rights Act of 1965. Political and economic and social barriers came down. And the change these men and women wrought is visible here today in the presence of African-Americans who run boardrooms, who sit on the bench, who serve in elected office from small towns to big cities, from the Congressional Black Caucus all the way to the Oval Office. Because of what they did. But in 2013, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 faced a major setback when the Supreme Court ruled that the Voting Rights Act had essentially served its purpose and significantly weakened it. That led states to implement their own laws. For example, within 24 hours of the Supreme Court decision, Texas announced it would put in place a strict voter ID law. In oral arguments, race-based voting discrimination still exists. No one doubts that. The late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg led the dissent. The great man who led the march from Selma to Montgomery. In her argument, she echoed the words of Martin Luther King Jr., who in 1967 presciently said, the road ahead would not always be smooth. The arc of the moral universe is long, he said, but it bends toward justice if there is a steadfast commitment to see the task through to completion. That commitment has been disserved by today's decision. We'll be right back. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder. And our family bonds grow, too, because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it is Bobby Bones from the Bobbycast, Nashville's most listened to music podcast. In-depth interviews with your favorite country artists. They tell stories behind the biggest songs in country music and share personal stories that you won't hear anywhere else. Reba, Chris Stapleton, Luke Combs, Dan and Shay, Kelsey Ballerini, and more. Long form and all from the comfort of my own home, so it gets a little more laid back. I also talk with the biggest songwriters and producers in Nashville to find out about the process and how it goes from being an idea in a writing room to a song that you hear on the radio. And if you're looking for new music, I share my top five new music releases on every week's episode. So if you love country music, I think you'll really enjoy this podcast, and there are so many episodes to binge, literally hundreds. Listen to new episodes of The Bobby Cast every Friday on the Nashville Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
When you look at all of these issues together, you see the system. This is a system of discrimination. Again, author and law professor Gilda Daniels. It takes on different names. In the 1900s, we called it a poll tax. In the day, we called it voter ID, or it used to be a literacy test. Now it's proof of citizenship. So we might have called it different things, but it still has the same impact. It still has the same effect. And that is that it disproportionately disenfranchises people of color. A big part of that system of discrimination are felony disenfranchisement laws, which bar people from voting because of prior criminal convictions. And there are some alarming stats that show the racial disparities of those laws. In 2019, the Sentencing Project reported that Black Americans who are old enough to vote are more than four times as likely to lose their voting rights than the rest of the adult population. In some states, one in five Black adults is disenfranchised. All told, there are about 2.2 million Black Americans who are banned from voting because of past convictions. How do you want me to address you? Katie. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Come on. Don't miss courage. <laughs> no, no, Listen, no. my mother raised me. Luckily, there are people fighting to right that wrong. The loss of civil rights is not something that's highlighted during plea bargaining, right? At the end of the day, what you're concerned about is how much time you will or will not have to do or how soon you can get out of prison. Desmond Mead is the president and executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, which is dedicated to ending the disenfranchisement and discrimination of people who have been incarcerated, also known as returned citizens. I remember a priest many years ago said that a person is caught for committing a crime, he's convicted, he's sentenced to prison, he serves his time, and the minute he walked out of the prison gate, that's when his real sentence starts. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to Desmond is that in 2018, he was instrumental in passing Amendment 4, Amendment 4 to Florida's Constitution. The amendment that will restore voting rights to 1.5 million people who already paid their debt to society and had felony records, that passed. So whatever happens tonight, that amendment is gonna be hugely important. It was an extraordinary achievement personally and professionally, because he is also a returned citizen. As a young man, Desmond was convicted on drug charges and spent time in prison for possession of a firearm. But his lowest point, when he was released. I was standing in front of railroad tracks in South Florida, waiting on a train to come so I can jump in front of it. That day that I stood there, I was a broken man. I mean, I was homeless, I was addicted to drugs, uh, recently released from prison, unemployed, didn't own anything but the clothes on my back. And I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. But God had other plans, and that train didn't come. And so I crossed those tracks, and I walked about a couple blocks further, and I checked myself into drug treatment. Desmond was able to turn his life around. He went back to school and did so well, he eventually earned a law degree. Yes, and so to add to that, what you said, I'm also a first-time author, right? I what? just wrote my book, Let My People Vote, that actually talks about uh, the journey. Congratulations, Desmond. That's quite an inspiring story. When did you realize that you were not considered a full citizen by the state of Florida? In the, the summer of 
2006 was the first time I realized it because I was introduced to Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. And that's when I first learned about the loss of civil rights. It started taking on more prominence when I was in law school and, 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 and really discovered that even though I was able to overcome so many obstacles, even though you know, I was doing well in law school and I would eventually graduate with my law degree, uh, the Florida bar would not even allow me to sit for the exam until my civil rights have been restored. And then I guess the final blow that was like a, a punch to the gut was in 2016 when my wife, Sheena, ran for office. She wanted to uh, uh, become a, a state representative for Florida. And in the middle of her campaign, someone approached me and said, Matt Desmond, I know that you're excited about being able to vote for your wife. And it, like, it was like a blow to my gut, reminding me, wow, because I live in Florida, I can't even vote for my own wife. You know, uh, forget the fact that prisoners in Puerto Rico were able to vote. Forget about the fact that in Maine and Vermont, you know, prisoners are able to vote. And throughout this country, in Georgia and Texas, uh, that people are able to vote after they've served their time. Because I lived in Florida, I wasn't even allowed to vote for my own wife. What were the rules that were in place that were disenfranchising all these people? Well, let me tell you, um, prior to Amendment 4, Anyone convicted of any felony offense lost the right to vote for life, lost all of their civil rights. Now, let me tell you, in Florida, that means that if you're driving with a suspended license, you can lose the right to vote for life. If you burn a tire in public, if you go lobster hunting and you catch a lobster whose tail is too short, you can lose the right to vote for life. If you're walking on the beach know, uh, uh, admiring the sunset and you disturb turtle nesting eggs, you would lose the right to vote for life. If you're like this gentleman in Broward County on Valentine's Day, rather, who rather than giving his wife a dozen roses, released 12 red balloons in the air, you could lose the right to vote for the rest of your life. And the only chance that you would get those rights back were if you were lucky enough to appear before the governor and beg him for clemency, right? Grovel at their feet and understanding that their decision about whether or not to let you be able to vote again is a purely arbitrary decision. You know, let me, let me give you some numbers. You know, the current policy that we were under before Amendment 4 required a person to wait either five or seven years after they have completed their sentence before they're able to just apply to have their civil rights restored. And then once they apply, we've seen waiting times between eight to 10 years. And so you seeing a person waiting uh, upwards of 18 years after they have applied to have their rights restored. And when they walk into the clemency hearing, they stand less than 0.001% of a chance of getting their rights restored. And you know what? This is no longer theoretical, right? Because I myself just went through this process, right? Where for over 19 years, not only have I remained crime-free, but I have dedicated my life to giving back to my community so much so that I've been named Central Floridian of the Year, Floridian of the Year. And even Time Magazine 100 
most influential person in the world. And I appear before the clemency board and they can't even make a decision on that. Right. That's insane. And so that is the type of process that have been in place prior to Amendment 4. And so, you know, uh, we knew that, you know, at the end of the day, that was too much power for four politicians to hold, to decide which American citizen get the vote and which don't, right? No matter what their political party is, whether it's Democrats, Republicans, or whatever, no politician should have that absolute power like that because that leaves room for partisan politics to impact those decisions, right? Especially when they're arbitrary decisions. And so that was one of the flashpoints that made me believe that we had to take that power out of the hands of politicians and put it in the hands of the people. That's exactly what we did. I wanted to ask you, you're talking about felony convictions, but putting 12 balloons into the air instead of giving someone 12 roses, that's a felony? That's a third degree felony in the state of Florida. (laughs) And a quick Google search, you will find the story. He released the 12 balloons in the air and and a law enforcement officer seen them and promptly arrested him. So when we hear, I think when the average person hears felony, Desmond, they think a a serious crime. And you know, let me tell you something. And that, that, uh, uh, Katie, let me tell you, that is part of my mission is to really expose how politicians can use rhetoric, right, to divide our country, right? And and, and they divide it through through hate and, and, and fear and create these narratives that make people think about something that actually doesn't exist, right? And so, for instance, when you talk about the felony conviction, you're going to think of the worst person in the world, and you're more than likely going to think African-American because we're paraded more than anyone else. Uh, but here's some realities. Even though Florida convicts about 170,000 people a year, less than 25% of them are even sentenced to prison. And then even of the 25%, the overwhelming number of that small group are there for less serious offenses. When we looked at the entire population of people who've been convicted and incarcerated, what we found was that people convicted of murder and all kinds of felony sexual offenses only made up, you ready for this? Less than 3% of the total amount of people right, who have been impacted, right? And so we, we, we know, that, you know that we have this challenge of fighting back against a narrative that's been created, not by the people, but by politicians that seek to divide this country because as long as this country is divided, they can't be held accountable, right? And so... No, we fight back at at that at every turn, every opportunity that we have to really set the story straight. That at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is in society's best interest that no matter what a person does, right, if they're convicted, if they're sentenced, they paid their debt and they're, they're released back into our community or already in our community, it's in everyone's interest for them to be able to successfully reintegrate. It is in everyone's interest for all of our citizens to participate in elections because the more people that vote, the more vibrant our democracy becomes, and that's good for everybody. Tell us about Florida Amendment 4 because you designed it. (laughs) 
Yeah, Amendment 4 was um, basically to create a pathway. And, and I, I tell people today that in spite of whatever subsequent legislation may have emerged, the one thing that we know is that we've already won. We won when we passed Amendment 4 because now enshrined in our state's constitution is an alternate pathway to be able to participate in our democracy without having to beg any politician. It restores voting rights to individuals who have been convicted of a felony offense, who have completed their sentence, as long as they have not been convicted of murder or they have not been convicted of felony sexual offenses. If those individuals have been convicted of those crimes, there is still a pathway to be able to vote again, but they would have to go through the clemency process. But everyone else, once they have completed their sentence, they have the right to vote. We had over 5.1 million people that voted yes for Amendment 4. We had a million more people that voted for us than any candidate that was running for governor, which shows the broad base of support that we had. And we showed the world, we showed the state of Florida that love can, in fact, win the day, that we can bring people together, that we don't have to tear each other down, that we can come together along the lines of humanity in spite of our political differences, in spite of our racial anxieties, that we can bring people together and move major issues that benefit society. But love didn't last, apparently, Desmond, because <laughs> after this was passed in 2018, things got complicated. The Republican legislature passed a law, SB 7066, basically clarifying the amendment and saying in order to register to vote, felons had to pay their financial penalties. Out of the nearly 1.5 million felons who regained the right to vote, 774,000 lost the right because of debt. I won't say, Katie, I wouldn't say that they lost the right. I said that they were delayed access to the right that was conferred upon them. You know, and then the other piece to that, though, Katie, yes, 774,000 individuals have some type of legal financial obligation that they have to satisfy before being able to register to vote. But what that also says is that there's five to 600,000 returning citizens that don't have that barrier in front of them that they can also right now today register to vote and be a part of our democracy. What my ancestors had to fight through with the lynchings and the, and the dogs and the fire hoses for, that this franchise is so doggone important that it needs to be accessible to everyone. Because the one time, you know, when I walk in that voting booth, Katie, I have just as much power as Jeff Bezos. I have just as much power as Bill Gates. That is the one equalizing force in this country is that voting booth. And it should not be barricaded. It shouldn't, we should not be prevented from being able to experience that just because we're too poor. Who will be able to vote in Florida on November 3rd? Oh, my God. On November 3rd, they're going to be like returning citizens uh, who have satisfied their legal obligations or uh, have had others satisfy their legal obligations for them and have registered to vote are going to be able to show up and participate in election. And you know what, Katie? They're not coming by themselves. 
they're bringing their family, they're bringing their friends, they're bringing their community to celebrate the expansion of democracy. And I know on November 3rd that there are going to be people that's going to be walking into that voting booth with their shoulders thrown back and their chest out, right, knowing that they are now finally a part of this democracy. And there's going to be some tears. I know they are. I know I'm going to be crying, right, knowing that, man, we exist and that our voice do matter. There are people that's waiting. There are people that's literally dying to get to that point right there. And so I can't wait to see what happens. While Desmond Mead continues to fight on behalf of returned citizens in court, others are fighting on the ground or over Zoom. Good morning, everyone. My name is N.S. Scott. I'm from the League of Women Voters. And what I do with the reentry programs is I give voter education registration. Annette Scott volunteers to help returned citizens understand their rights. There's a lot of misinformation out there. What people with criminal records can and can't do varies state by state. But luckily, Annette's a history buff who loves sharing her research. Most people in New Jersey do not know the law that prevents people who are incarcerated and previously on parole or probation has been in effect since 1844. The half a dozen people who have joined this call have been recently released from prison and are on parole or probation. The fact that they now have the right to vote in New Jersey is a new law that went into effect just this past March. And when anyone who is incarcerated, as soon as they leave, they can register immediately too. Now, what a lot of people do is they ask me is, uh, well, I committed two, three, four, whatever felonies, so I can't vote in New Jersey. And that's not true. Once you're released from any correctional facility, you can register to vote. There's a lot that Annette has to cover, like key voting deadlines. To receive your application is October 13th. How to fill out the registration forms and how to send them in. If you do it online, you're okay. If you don't, there's postage on it and you print your own form. And she does it one voter at a time. Does anyone have any questions for me? What is the name of the website to register online, please? Okay. One, you can use your local one, which is... um, MiddlesexCounty.nj.com. She loves her work, but says the hardest part is hearing why people think the voting isn't important. I think it's a waste of time. I don't I don't vote. I never have voted. Uh, it doesn't count. It means nothing. Okay? Now, if they saw me, I would be red as a beet, tomato, and anything else you could see, because I get so upset when a citizen does this because they don't know the history. So then what I do is I go back and tell them. When I was a young child growing up, every night on the news, I watched people trying to register, not vote, register. They were had dogs set upon them. The police beat them with batons. They were fire hose. And the most horrible, horrible thing of all, they were killed. So of nothing else, I vote in their honor. 
And some will say to me, oh, oh, I never knew that. Oh, okay, I'll register. And there's a few that will say, yeah, okay, well, that was then, but uh, I still don't see no use in it. And then I have to tell myself, <laughs> Annette, you can't convince everyone. If you convince eight or nine out of 10, you're doing good. The 10th, leave and maybe another day. But Annette Scott refuses to quit. Well, I'm hoping all of you will register. And more than anything, I'm hoping you will vote this year, whoever it's for, it doesn't matter. But please exercise your right to vote. I thank all of you. I wish you the very best. And if you have any questions, and anything else that I can help you with registration, I certainly will. Next week on Turnout. You've taken the challenge and you've chosen to be a disinformation fighter. Put on your cape, democracy heroes. It's time for your training. You are a newly deputized troll buster. We are so glad to have you on our team. Voter suppression looks a little different these days in our viral virtual world. How to combat the spread of disinformation That's next week on Turnout. Hey, listeners, before we go, I just want to remind you that though we're getting down to the wire, there is still time in some states to check your registration to make sure you can vote in this very important election. To make that process easier, I've partnered with the social justice organization Do Something. Find out how to check your registration or register to vote by texting Katie to 38383. You can also go to vote.org to find out where and how to vote in your state. And of course, subscribe to my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, for the latest election information. Turnout is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric and Courtney Litz. Supervising producers, Lauren Hansen. Associate producers, Derek Clements. Eliza Costas, and Emily Pinto. Editing by Derek Clements and Lauren Hansen. Mixing by Derek Clements. Our researcher is Gabriel Loser. And special thanks to my right-hand woman, Adriana Fazio. You can follow me in all my election coverage at Katie Couric. Meanwhile, yes, I'm Katie Couric. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Kenley Jansen here, three-time All-Star and World Series champ. Si está lidiando con estrés, vaya a calhope.org para chatear en vivo con uno de los increíbles oyentes o llama a su línea directa al 1-833-317-HOPE. Hope vive aquí en California. You've always had the feeling that there's something strange about reality. According to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast, there is. On the show, hosts Robert Lamb and Joe McCormick examine neurological quandaries, cosmic mysteries, evolutionary marvels, and much more. Prosthetics are true testaments to not only human craftsmanship and ingenuity, but also to the plasticity of the human brain. Listen to Stuff to Blow Your Mind on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. Hey, it's Bobby Bones from the BobbyCast. We are Nashville's most listened to music podcast. In-depth interviews with your favorite country artists, plus the biggest songwriters and producers in Nashville, all from the comfort of my own home, so it gets a little more laid back. They're sharing stories behind the biggest songs in country music and personal stories that you will not hear anywhere else. So if you love country music, I think you will love this podcast. 
Listen to The Bobbycast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.